I used to study it and I used to wonder how to do it. And I guess as I got older, um, when I was 14, a representative from the White House School of Fashion in Sydney came up to our school and ran a one-day workshop of, of fashion drawing. And um, at the end of it, they gave away a, a week scholarship for a summer workshop to come down and study fashion drawing for a week down in Sydney. And I actually won that workshop. And I think that when I went along to that, I think I was 14 at the time and most of the other girls were a fair bit older than me, but it it opened up my eyes to the possibility of art as more than something I did in a sketchbook for fun. <laughs> I went, wow, I could actually, you know, pursue this or I could do something later on with this as a career. Welcome to the Self Love Podcast, the show that helps crack open your heart and inspire a deeper regard for your own well-being and happiness. Proudly brought to you by 28 Essentials. Here's your host, the gorgeous Kim Morrison. Welcome to the Self Love Podcast. This week, we have a beautiful creative soul on the show, the amazing Sanchia Marshall. Beauty, feminine, peace, nature. All of those words are core aspects of Sanchia's creations. She is an artist. Living in northern Brisbane, Sanchia finds the pace of modern life can sometimes be intrusive. So she draws on her rural childhood and connection to the feminine spirit to create deeply harmonious art, whisking viewers away to magical places. Sanchia began her career in the fashion industry due to her love for feminine beauty. After realizing the most pleasure was from drawing the female face and form, she evolved into becoming an artist doing just what she desired. Her artworks are created to inspire, to bring peace, to give permission to be feminine, beautiful, soft, and powerful in a confusing, sometimes modern world. Having experienced anxiety and OCD since her teens, Sanchia knows the benefits of using art to escape from the everyday, to promote mental well-being, and to balance our inner selves. Everything in this life is intertwined, woven together, and pulsing with the same amazing life force and energy. Sanchia is no stranger to living an unconventional life in a way that feels right for her. She's a lover of homeopathy acupuncture and living clean and healthy. Along with her beautiful husband, Josh, they have been unschooling their three kids for over a decade. Their journey is not alone has only changed her life and her art, but it also allows for the freedom and the rich rewards of explorative learning. Sanchia has collectors of her artwork across the globe. She's been included in the finalists of the Australian Watercolour Muster and has painted watercolour portraits for the prestigious Archibald and Brisbane Portrait Prizes. You can find more about this beautiful soul on her Instagram and website, artbysanchia.com. If you go there, you're going to see her exquisite, fine detail to all of her amazing work. I'm even proud and honored to say that this beautiful soul painted me for one of her Archibald um, presentations. And I cannot tell you it was one of the most humbling experiences I've ever been through. I know you're going to love today's show. You're going to hear her beauty, her softness, her grace, her femininity. And I cannot wait to hear what you think of today's show. 
Please, if you enjoy it, give the show, The Self-Love Podcast, a five-star rating. It helps people to find it way easier the more of you that do that. And if you've got any comments or feedback, head on over to my Instagram page, Kim Morrison and the number 28. You can go to my Facebook page, Kim Morrison Training, or you can head on over to thewellnesscouch.com forward slash self-love podcast. It's available on all platforms and I sincerely hope you're enjoying it as much as I love bringing it to you. Please take care, be kind and enjoy today's show. Well, as you heard, one of my greatest loves is certainly when I see someone with a talent and they use it. And our beautiful guest this week has an incredible talent in a number of different areas, but in particular, her art. I just want to welcome you to the Self-Love Podcast, beautiful Sanchiao Marshall. Hey, Kimmy, thank you so much for having me on. I'm actually really honoured and humbled to be a guest on your podcast. Well, it's a pretty special podcast in the sense that we get to hear incredible souls like you tell their stories. We also get to understand and appreciate that life (laughs) can be full of ups and downs. And we know it's not always a box of roses or a beautiful painting as we (laughs) could so look at it. But I, I just would love you to take us on a little journey back to perhaps your upbringing, what brought you and led you, and where did you discover you had such a talent in the field of art? Could you take us back a little bit? Yeah, sure. Um, so I grew up um, on the mid-north coast of New South Wales. My grandparents actually had a dairy farm there and um, my dad grew up there as well. So um, my childhood was, you know, dirt roads and cows and <laughs> sort of they even, you know, even that really wholesome killing your own cow and eating straight from the, you know, the deep freezer <laughs> and um, having food for the year. Um, but I think it was then that I remember discovering art for the first time and I used to take a little sketchbook out and draw the, the like rolling green hills of my grandparents' farm and just capture the beauty, I guess, that I saw there and the peace that I felt there. So it was a, um, a really special place in my heart that I still actually, when I'm painting and that, that I draw from. And just the feelings that I, I guess, associated with there, that my grandparents were always so loving and welcoming and it was a place that I felt completely myself and accepted. That's a pretty powerful thing, isn't it, when you feel like it's home. Home is a really important place, metaphorically speaking, emotionally speaking, and, of course, physically speaking. I have heard a number of artists say that they were inspired by the rolling hills, by nature, by being able to be free to draw and be whoever they wanted to be. I want to ask you a question straight up. Do you think we're born naturally good artists or can you learn to be a good artist? Um, I think you can learn the skill to draw or paint and I think anybody can do that. But I think being a good artist is something at soul level. and I. But I do think people can learn it. Does that make sense? <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah. It's like sometimes you hear people like other artists, vocal artists, musicians, they can learn to sing, but some people just are born, they seem to be born with just a great voice. Yeah. Your yeah. artwork is very detailed and very... You can feel the soul, the energy, the love, the passion that you put into your art. If you were to describe the kind of art that you do, what would it be? 
Um, I have a deep love of nature and the female face and form. I think that um, I kind of discovered that in my teens when I was uh, sort of introduced to fashion drawing and the beauty of the female face and form. But I think for me too it's the um, the feelings that those images and colours and that that you can capture that they evoke, whether that's for you as the artist creating it or for the viewer viewing it. And I love that there's there's that connection, I guess, with all of those elements melded in together. Yeah, it's a beautiful way to look at it, actually. And many would say that Mother Nature has a feminine energy as well. Mm. So there's no accident that you bring the two together. Is it acrylic? Is it oil? Is it paint? Is it pottery? Like, Describe to our beautiful listener some of the creations that you've done because many of it is quite multifaceted and multi-talented. Yeah, I think I have a great love of watercolour and that's probably my main passion, but I have worked in um, acrylic as well and just recently this year I've gone to doing oils, which is a whole other (laughs) other thing. Um, but, yeah, my main love is probably drawing and watercolour. I just love the um, unpredictability, I guess, of the watercolour and that you don't have complete control of it and that it can be imperfect, I guess, and kind of do its own thing. <laughs> it's a bit like the woman, really. It's a bit like us. We're imperfectly yes. perfect. <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's it. <laughs> One of the images in particular that I really fell in love with was like a woman with her head slightly tilted back and then all these gorgeous images of nature um, in her and my daughter's got it hanging in her bedroom. Can you tell us what inspired you to think of that? And could you describe it a little bit better than I did? Yeah, so I did have, yeah, and and, I, and people still commission that actually. And I have, and it's, I've done this, like profiles of women, I guess, like a beautiful profile and inside it, I will put some kind of, I guess, beautiful nature scene, whether it's um, forest or beach or, you know, trees overlooking a lake and, I've heard people who um, purchase those artworks describe it as, and it often does go in a bedroom or something because it's a reminder when those when you wake up of um, how you want to feel, I guess, like a connection to peacefulness or, you know, that we have all this chaos going on outside of us in the world, especially the last couple of years, that um, our inner world is so important and our inner world can be a place of beauty and it can be what we make it so I and I and that's what inspired those pieces was um you know in my head often it's it can be quite noisy and it, it was a way of calming down and finding that um that lovely you know center and soul focus that we all have yeah it's actually a really visual a very beautiful visual reminder and, uh, you know, a, there's a line, you know, a picture can tell a thousand words. Mm. As you're painting or when you've painted one of these originals, what are the sort of thoughts that are going through your head as you're creating? Is it, do you have a plan in your head what you're going to do or do you allow the the paint to take its place? So how do you work out how to draw these magnificent images? Um, I guess so with the he- those profiles in particular, I do have a bit of a plan usually but only in the way of, okay, well, these are where my certain colours are going to go and things like that. And then from there, it's very much a case of, 
okay, well, the, the colour did this here, so I'll work with that. And um, then that colour, uh, like it might be a purple, so I might put a red blossom over the top because it pops off that colour or, you know, so it's a bit of both. I think it's a bit planned and a bit intuitive. <laughs> that was a sin. As you're in that intuitive space, many people would say that drawing or doing pottery or painting any of these things is quite meditative it's quite a a very soulful place for you as the artist to be or or almost to get lost in could you describe to us what it's like when you're in that space and really connected to your artwork um I think that I think it's been described too and I find it is like you lose track of time there's sort of this um space that you get into that it's it is quite meditative and I'm just I guess I'm trying to think to to that place it's quite I guess if you were coloring in or something like that it's just a um I'd say it's slow it's it's nice (laughs) well it's a fast-paced world we could certainly do with a little bit more of it and I think, you know, I, I remember going to Goati here on the Sunshine Coast where you yeah. could go in and you had artists help you paint whatever it is you wanted to paint. Mm. And you actually felt like you had a little bit of something that yeah, but yeah. I would never have wanted to do it without <laughs> an artist there. I wasn't very good at Pictionary and I certainly wouldn't have been able to create these, these paintings without the mm. support of an artist. But what I felt, I started calling it my adult kindergarten. It was fun. Yeah. It was playful. It was enjoyable. It was meditative. It was like we got, like you just said, lost in a world of just being in a space. Yeah, we didn't yeah. have to think about anything except just use colour and these platforms, these canvases to express Mm. yourself. And even though many of us were drawing the same thing or painting the same thing, oh, my gosh, none of them looked alike. No, they're all so different. Everyone has their own um, own stamp, don't they? (laughs) Yeah. And so I'm I'm curious from your point of view, uh, you know, did you study art? Did you go to university? Were you interested in art history? Like has it built a foundation of love for art and the history of art? Yeah, so I think, um, well, I first got a love of art when I was quite young. My dad used to go on trips for work and he brought me back an original artwork on one of those trips, which was actually like an oil painting of a little girl overlooking the ocean. And I probably would have been nine nine or ten at the time. And it always, I used to study it and I used to wonder how to do it. And I guess as I got older, um, when I was 14, a representative from the White House School of Fashion in Sydney came up to our school and ran a one-day workshop of, of fashion drawing. And um, at the end of it, they gave away a a week scholarship for a summer workshop to come down and study fashion drawing for a week down in Sydney. And I actually won that workshop. And I think that when I went along to that, I think I was 14 at the time and most of the other girls were a fair bit older than me, but it it opened up my eyes to the possibility of art as more than something I did in a sketchbook for fun. <laughs> I went, wow, I could actually, you know, pursue this or I could do something later on with this as a career. And and since I went to that, I'd always had drawing and that as, you know, I, I think in maths class once I had my book open and I was drawing in maths class <laughs> instead of doing my maths. So I had my my notebook inside the inside the maths book, and it was just something that I always went to, and then 
as I went through year 11 and 12, I was fairly determined that I wanted to do fashion illustration. And um, I ended up getting a better score at school than what I thought I would get. And so I flicked across to doing teaching, but my dream was to always do fashion illustration. And I think I got uh, two years into early childhood teaching and just went, this is not for me. I don't have the passion here that I see other people have for this, you know, career path. And I left and I had a year off and then I ended up uh, going and doing the fashion after that. So I did a a three-year diploma in um, fashion and textile design and after that, I did work in the industry before I had my kids as a uh, pattern maker and fashion illustrator. So <laughs> that was sort of, I guess, illustration was a part of my job. But um, as for formal art education, uh, there wasn't really any of that until later when I took classes when my son was younger. Mm. Let's talk about your kids and and how you've woven a career because you're not just any artist, you're actually incredibly talented and you have work commissioned and you've sold a lot of different work throughout different, many, many different avenues. But how do you do that? I'm just curious to imagine you with all your kids and then trying to paint in that place of stillness and solitude and quietness. How on earth have you managed to manage the two of those kind of worlds? I think that it's probably my biggest challenge, Kimmy. It's, um, because like we unschool and I've got two sons and a daughter. So Xander's um, 16, Parker's 13 and Esther's coming up 10. And, um, and we've homeschooled now for, you know, about 10 years. So um, it's definitely a juggle. And so I don't try to do it full time now because it would, that would always end up in burnout (laughs) and it would, and everyone would suffer, but I do have a separate studio at home. And sometimes I will just have to lock the door and lock myself away. (laughs) And now that the kids are older and they are a lot more self-motivated, I do get time to spend on that. But it may mean at times, something you said before about that fun and playfulness, Uh, my daughter's very creative and she's like that very naturally artistic type of person. So she will often draw and paint with me. So she's kind of grown up with that as a part of her life so we can kind of play together I wouldn't ever try and sit down and do a serious piece in that in that zone but um I think there's ways around it and it's just I guess going with the flow and it's knowing that some days I'll get time other days I won't but not being too hard on yourself for that (laughs) which is easy to do as a mama bear. Yes, exactly. And there's always been a guilt, I think, of if I spend too much time over here, I feel guilty that I'm not with them. Or if I spend too much time, not that you can, with homeschooling, but it's um, there's there can be a resentment that I want to go do my art. So it's just, it's finding that balance. Well, that's a battle in itself for mama bears out there, wanting to be in two places at once, wanting to do things for themselves, but also knowing or feeling like there's an obligation or a moral um, ethics around being a a good mum, being very present. And it's a question that a lot of women get. How do you keep it all together? How do you balance it all? But I don't know about you, Sanshia, but I've had many children as they've grown turn around and say all they want is their mums and dads to be happy. 
Now, what makes you happy is going into this place of drawing. So do you think it's important for you that you've made stances throughout their lives that I actually need to, I have to, I must go and do some paint work because it makes you a better mum? Yeah, absolutely. And they actually say it to me. So they actually say to me, mum, go do your art because we can tell that you need to. (laughs) If I'm a bit cranky or something like that, they're like, you know, it's obvious you haven't done it for a while. Do they want to come in and annoy you doing it or are you part of that or do they leave you alone? Um, they tend to leave me alone now. Um, I think my my daughter, she's always, because she's younger, you know, that's probably a little easier now, but she would often want to come out and come and be with me. So sometimes that might mean, I guess, setting her up on the floor with something or, you know, just finding a way around that. And I think that's the important thing is we navigate it and no two days are ever the same. Yeah. And also I would imagine art where it's so different in many ways to the corporate world, it's you have to be in the zone or you have to want to be in flow to create this work. It's not like a rhythmical, um, sequential, logical space, is it? You're in a very creative space. How do you bring out the creativity? Let me ask it this way. Someone wants to commission a piece of art from you and it's on Mm. a deadline. Is that a challenge with the kids, homeschooling, getting into the zone? How on earth do you manage that? Or do you give yourself a little bit of buffer? I usually give a buffer, yeah. And I think that in a way sometimes it can be easier because it's like, right, I've just got a deadline, I've got to get it done. So there's that external sort of, I guess, a little bit more pressure to to have it done so you make sure it is, whereas when you're working on something that's just for you or from your creativity, there is no deadline and you tend not to be quite as, or I do, tend not to be quite as tough on myself. (laughs) It's easy, isn't it, to actually find bright, shiny objects and be distracted from Yes, yes. (laughs) I get it, I get it. Well, let's just take a little thing. I mean, you mentioned just before, and it's a lovely place to go back to, Mm. homeschooling is another whole platform again where many parents are turning and wanting Mm. to deliver a lot of information to their children through life experience, through their own beliefs and values. How have your kids enjoyed it? Have they adapted? Is it something you would never not ever do again? Would you always do it? And Mm. can you tell us why you chose to homeschool? Yeah, sure. Um, So our journey with homeschooling started when my eldest son, who's now 16, was in grade, grade one. And um, we started homeschooling as he shifted into grade two. And at the time, um, Parker was five and I was pregnant with Esther. So um, it kind of, I was one of those parents, like, I'm never going to home, I'm never going to homeschool. That just wasn't me. I couldn't imagine myself doing it, except I was in a position where Xander was being bullied at school and this beautiful, sensitive, bright little boy just completely changed. And he was in the fetal position every morning. He didn't want to go to school. You know, I I actually took him up to school in his pyjamas one day and I didn't know what to do. I didn't know why he didn't want to go to school. He'd sort of clammed up and, um, you know, he had anxieties coming out. He used to say that he he thought that a meteorite was going to hit the school and, you know, it came out later that there was things happening at school that were, for a little five-year-old, quite traumatic. And like, no wonder he was scared to go. And 
I remember going to the um, principal in tears, just like I, I don't know what to do and I don't know why this is happening. You know, he 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 says, I used to say to him uh, when he came home from school, what was the best part of your day? And he'd say to me, oh, it was you coming to pick me up, mummy. And it, it just broke my heart. <laughs> and so I started looking at all the options because when I approached the school, they said to me that I should go get counselling. And I was just floored that that was the response and that there was no support. So I started looking at the options and I guess, you know, we looked at private schools and my mother-in-law had actually homeschooled my niece and nephew. And so my husband was actually all on board and he's like, you know, let's give it a go. And so I went to talk to Xander's teacher and I was sort of still undecided whether we should unschool or not, homeschool or not. And um, she pretty much said to me, um, out of a place of fear, she said, for Xander, I think if you homeschool him, he will become a hermit. And she was trying to persuade me not to from a place of fear. And I just, I, I, I tend to get a bit rebellious if that's the case. And I just went, fine, this is what we're doing. And Overnight, Xander changed once he we talked to him about what our plans were. He was a different kid. He just went, yeah, I want to be with your mum. I want to come home. And so we finished out the year and then that following year we started homeschooling. And um, so I had a new baby at the time and it was such a huge learning curve um, to do this with two little kids on my own at the time because my husband now works from home too, so I have that support but seeing the shifts in Xander and seeing that he came back to life essentially and that you know the journey we went on with learning and the the I guess the growth and learning I had in myself I we just kept doing it and each year we always made it a thing to go okay well you know what to say to the kids what do you want to do this year it was always an option to go back to school and because they were doing so well and we were, you know, liking it too, we we continued on and sort of year after year it just kept going and, you know, we met this beautiful homeschooling community that we have where we are and I learned, you know, the diversity of people doing it and the options and resources and social options available in those spaces and I guess we've all been able to grow and change within those spaces. So we, we've shifted from homeschooling to unschooling now. And um, in 2020, we the kids all did go to school. So we, we did try that again. <laughs> but it was a really bad year to try it <laughs> because um, I think we only got would have, would have been maybe two months in and then everyone else was homeschooling too. <laughs> so. Um, we went back to um, homeschooling in 21. So, yeah, that and that's been our journey now. And um, Gosh, there's no accident, though, is there? Here you are going back to it and then the world shuts down <laughs> and, you, and you had to go back to what you already knew. I just think it's fascinating that yes, there's, yeah. no, there's no 
um, accidents really in this. And your children, all three of them are just delicious little humans getting bigger and bigger. They're incredibly uh, bright and intelligent. They're certainly not missing out on anything. Do you think then, and I've heard this, many people think the schooling system is totally outdated and antiquated and so not accommodating to all types of kids. And we now have added pressures like ADD, ADHD, learning difficulties, uh, not addictions, um, allergies. Like Mm. there is just so many other layers that seems to be there compared to when I was at school. Yeah. But you said there's quite a diverse group within your community. I mean, we're not talking people traveling in caravans around Australia homeschooling. These are people that have high educations. There is, you know, there's people that have major, um, they're incredibly academic and yet they're choosing to homeschool. Mm. What do you think that is? What's the main reason they're choosing this? Um, I think it probably is a combination, but it probably is because the schooling system doesn't offer something or other to fulfill a need that they may want to for them or their children. And so they're able to find that by homeschooling or through other avenues. Um, I've actually got a friend who um, her son's the same age, age as Xander and we actually met through a drama class that the kids were going to and um, she actually has started her own high school in Brisbane because there wasn't the high school that she wanted for her kids and both her and her husband are very educated and you know beautiful people that you know they saw a need and they filled it and it's kind of amazing in the community that there are these people and that as you said the the kids thrive and flourish in the environment that they're learning isn't that what every mother and father wants is to see their kid or their children flourish and actually enjoy what they're doing as far as learning is concerned. Yeah, absolutely. That's our biggest dream is to see our children happy, healthy, and enjoying life as as much as it is for them to see us doing the same. Mm. But I'm, I'm curious from the point of view then that, you know, school doesn't seem to fit every single person. Mm. And we seem to have way more flexibility in this day and age to choose different options and possibilities. If a child, you know, I've I've heard of other people that have homeschooled and then the kids have got to a certain age in high school and they've chosen to go back to school for their last two years of school just to do more social integration or to sit certain things or to play a certain sport or whatever. The community or the wider activities, a lot of people fear that by not being at school, you'll miss out on the social connection or you'll miss out on playing Mm. rugby or netball Mm. or you won't get into the swimming team. But that's not the case for homeschooled kids, is it? There's many avenues in which they can still fulfill and participate in many extracurricular activities and sports. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that there's probably the opportunity to do more than if they have a passion or an interest than they would at school. Because as like it's um it's metered somewhat at school. There's only so much time you can spend on something unless you of course go outside, um, which is essentially your extracurricular activities anyway, which homeschoolers have access to. What happens then when they're sick 
or they're tired or they just don't want to do it. Are you following a curriculum that they've got to get through? Is there a homeschool? Could you explain the different options of homeschooling curriculums that's possible? And if they are sick or unwell or not motivated, mm. how do you kick them up the butt into doing what they perhaps may need to do or do you not? Um, and I think because well, we have done everything and I think that the options are, you know, we have the, in Queensland we have the home education unit which you can go through, which means you make your own curriculum. So you will put together your own um, way that your child is going to learn and you have to prove that they are progressing and that they are getting a quality education. Um, you can also go through distance ed schools. So uh, there are people who will do that for you. They will report for you. They will do that curriculum for you and they'll send you out, you know, the books and everything you need to learn. There's even options these these days of, you know, the child can do online classes and essentially just be doing school from home with um, online teachers and that. And um, the way we do it is unschooling, which is the, I guess, explorative learning and the child sort of dictates their their pace and their um, interests. And I guess as the parent, you are, um, I always liken it to uh, they're they're on this side of the wall of a big wall and they need to get they want to get to the other side so there's something we want they're wanting to learn or to know and it's your job to help them find the door to get to that place so it's so you know providing the resources or education or whatever it is they need to be able to bolster that learning and as the unschooling parent it's your job to I guess decipher what they're learning into those um, learning objectives and put it in edu speak for for the home education unit it's pretty it's pretty beautiful isn't it especially when you've got such different unique children and anyone that's got more than one child will know that they don't think the same they don't act the same even though they might be the same <laughs> rules or same philosophies they're very different so I imagine this is a beautiful way to honor those differences but also bring them all together what about, yeah. you know, I don't know, is, are children different in the sense that I've met many 40, 50 and 60-year-olds that still don't know what they want to learn or what they want to do or who they want to become? Yeah. Does it, is a child a lot more free-spirited in your experience where they're guided themselves? And is that more of an intuitive kind of spiritual, almost woohoo element? Or is this something that you kind of notice what they're saying and then you direct and question and see, like, how on earth do you know what the child, if they're going to do their own directive learning? Yeah, I think it's it's taken a while for all of my kids to be more self-directed. When they first left school and sort of what you were saying before about, you know, if they don't want to do something, how are you going to get them there? And a, a beautiful example was in the first year of homeschooling, I, I would do all these beautiful lesson plans. Okay, we're going to, you know, sit down and I'd organize everything and I had a vision of how I wanted it to be and what learning outcomes I thought Xander would get from, you know, my lesson I had created and put all this time into. And I think we were studying diamonds or something at the time because he was interested in rocks and um, we'd done all the activities and everything. And then I just wanted him to sit down and I said, you know, just write a paragraph about what you've learned because it was about, you know, sort of summarizing and showing that he understood and could write a paragraph about 
he's learning. And I think we ended up, we were sitting there for about 45 minutes and he would not write. He wouldn't do anything. He just didn't want to do it. And out of frustration, I just, I I did, I got mad and I was like, well, I don't know. I'm like, just write something. And I walked away and writing was a real struggle with Sander. Anyway, I went, I walked away and I think I went to the bathroom and when I came back, he'd written on the page, mum is mad. (laughs) And so this little boy who didn't write, I'm like, and I just burst out laughing and I just thought I'd put so much pressure on myself and I was just proud that he wrote something. And I think that afternoon we ended up going out to a park and just he was fascinated with bugs and plants at the time too and we ended up having this whole other unplanned lesson where we learned all these things and we came home and we ended up you know watching documentaries and it was just from that letting go and easing up on myself uh, that I didn't have to be this perfect teacher parent that I discovered learn more learning and more fun could happen so you know and I we hit up against that wall a few times where or, you know, my middle son, Parker, he's very stubborn. And recently with my daughter, Esther, she she has not wanted to read and she has not wanted to learn reading and writing. And so as a parent, I, you know, you do, your your worries come in and, and it was very much a case of, okay, well, she's nearly 10 and she's not reading and writing yet and all her peers at school by comparison, are so much further ahead than her. And, you know, and I'm thinking, what is she missing out on by not doing this? But in the last month, she has taught herself to read and she's writing and she's wanting, like without me even having to, I guess, direct it, she's getting the books out now herself, which just a couple of months ago she was resisting me doing it. And I'm reminded over and over again that if I just trust them and where they want to go with things, that the learning curve that takes place if they want to do it is so much shorter than if I had pushed it. Mm. Wasn't that an interesting way of looking at the education system so many kids are forced into Mm. almost parrot fashion learning in order to pass an exam so that the school gets its credentials or that they have a certain number of high grades passed or there must be certain attributes or things that they have to hit and I just think how much pressure that puts on teachers on parents on the kids absolutely and ultimately makes everyone a bit unhappy but we kind of have to do it. Mm. Like life's not always easy. Life's not yes. always how we want it. Life doesn't always go according to our wants. Yep. So how are you teaching your children that whilst they have the power to self-dictate or self-navigate how and when they want to le- learn and what they want to do, mm. as opposed to sometimes the world just doesn't operate like that? Yeah, I think it naturally happens. So I think probably a best example would be uh, my son Xander has um, probably two years ago he came across a YouTube video. It was about what they call lock sports. And 
it was, I had never heard of it until he sort of started talking about it. And he got right into this world of lock sports. And so lock sport is, um, there's a big community online where the, they will get locks from all different places like safes and everything. And um, they learn how to pick them essentially. So yeah, it's not, it's not criminal, but it is a, it is a sport. And um, so Xander deep dived into locks and how locks work. And he would learn how to pull them apart. And he ended up um, cause my father-in-law is a mechanic. He ended up making his own locks and like boring them out and complicating them, I guess, making, uh, a harder, make it hard, making it harder to get into making them safer. And he made, um, a relationship with a local locksmith. And I remember him sitting at a park one day saying, nobody I know has this interest and I really want to learn more about it. And there was just, there was natural things he butted up against in this process of learning and finding out how to get to where he wanted to go. And he found this online community and they all um, do what they call challenge locks. So they'd make these locks harder. And so Xander would go to the local locksmith, get a, get a lock, make it harder to pick and then send it around the world. And people would do videos of them picking these locks and they'd have to get it, like lower their time, try and pick it as quickly as possible. And then from that, uh, Xander is also into 3D printing and he would make what they call uh, lock, lock picking trays. So he's got this little business on the side where there's a whole heap of these sort of retired guys that love lock sports that will have their logo put onto a a lock um, tray and then they will use that in their videos for all the little pieces that come out of this lock and he would make um, stands for the locks that come out of safes for all these guys to put on, you know, put their $3,000 French lock on display. (laughs) So I think that it's sort of natural consequences and I mean I've and I've seen him he, you know the frustration that came on that journey for him and how proud he is of himself for oh, the things he's overcome that's just so incredible I mean who would have ever thought that something like this little interest would spark into something so big for want yeah. of a better word I mean, this is amazing, the creative side and the trust in oneself to actually believe in what they're doing is, I don't know if you can put a price on that. No, I think that, and the skills he's learned along the way, it's just, they just build on each other. Like last year, uh, me and Xander, we learnt, uh, we went to a local school and we actually learnt silversmithing together. And um, he was 15 at the time and I think, they liked them to be a bit older but because I was with him they were okay to take him and I was so proud of him in that because you know we were in a situation where we would you know you there was all walks of life in those classes and seeing him and how he handled himself and you know talking to other people and that and how mature he is I was um quite blown away by the young man he's become 
Well, I would be too. I mean, he is so gorgeous and so it's how lovely for a child to be embraced for who they are, not who they should be. Mm. And I just want to acknowledge you and Josh for, you know, I'm sure it's not been easy the whole time, but it's certainly something that I think a lot of people have questioned and particularly over the last three to four years where people were really challenged uh, just on their beliefs of where they stood even around having the, you know, the vaccine and that really pushed a lot of people into that place. So, you know, without any judgment on either side to Mm. segregate communities or to segregate people or to go from the other point of view, from a school system to put everybody in the same box, you know, we're kind of creating these robots that come out. Um, And my whole thing around academia or education or anything is about instilling a sense of curiosity and wanting to challenge the status quo or look from another angle or have you thought about this or just because someone says that doesn't mean this and what if we looked at it this way, this way and even another hundred ways. Is it beautiful for you to see these, these gorgeous young children of yours is that something you're really noticing? Have you, and without comparing, I don't want to make school yeah, yeah. kids wrong or parents wrong that do go to school because there's nothing wrong with either. It's just what works for you. Mm. But have you noticed your own children? Are you proud, obviously, of the way they're growing and becoming? And do you have the faith that they will work out what careers they want to do? Yeah. Um, and I think that we're at a point now where it, it has taken a while for me to trust that process, but I've seen it over and over and over again, where I may have had a concern or a worry and they've proved me wrong (laughs) that, um, and I think it's what you said, it's following that curiosity. And I've always wanted that for them to be, you know, adaptable and to stay curious and to love learning and that they have a natural desire to learn. And I have no doubt that they will do and are doing what they, you know, need to and what they love and that they'll find that. I think that's one of the most greatest gifts we as parents can give our children, Mm. the space to be themselves. And in turn, we're giving ourselves that space to be ourselves. And so so let's come back to your art because I just love what you do. Do you draw your children? Have you taught them to draw? Are any of them showing any signs of talent like yours? Um, yes, yeah, so I've I've done drawing with all of them or painting with all of them, and um, I think Xander has a bit of a natural talent with it, and he he has entered some competitions and won them and things, and he's quite often like if something isn't quite right, if I've drawn a face or something, I will often ask him, you know, where's it not quite right, and he'll be able to spot it straight away. He's just got a really good eye, and that's probably where his three D modelling and all that comes in, and he's you know. I think he's he's designed like a survival whistle and all these cool things Um, and that's for where his creative side has gone and also into, you know, working with Josh and doing the um, graphics side of the websites and the coding. And and Parker is, he doesn't want anything to do with it. He does not like drawing or art or getting messy, (laughs) which is fine. He's more, you know, he loves maths and engineering and the logical side of things. And um, Esther, as I said before, she's a natural creative. So she is, she loves dancing and drawing and um, she's really into, you know, making videos on her, her tablet. And I can see that that may sort of, you know, develop into something more later on. Uh, she's just a very, I guess, sassy, free spirit. <laughs> uh, like her mum. 
<laughs> Let's talk about you. The, one of the things that we've talked about all the beautiful side of life and how you've pushed yourself, but there's also another part of you that has really had to learn how to overcome anxiety and even OCD mm. um, since you're a teenager. Could you just talk us through a little bit about that? Because everything sounds so perfect in your world right now, but we also mm. know that there's challenges that you've had to face. And for many people that are listening to this, anxiety, depression, OCD, um, different perhaps personality disorders or other things that come mm. about have really felt squashed them for want of a better word, or they've not felt good enough, or haven't even been able to express it. Mm. How on earth did you first of all acknowledge it from being a teenager? And then what did you do to work through these processes? Mm. Yeah, so I've... Um, I think when I was quite young, my parents went through kind of a a situation where it was quite stressful for our family and we we sort of lost everything and had to move away from my grandparents' farm and that. And um, that was when my anxiety, that's when I first remember it. And um, that sort of, you know, very obsessive OCD thinking that has been, you know, with me for as long as I can remember. And um, I think one of my first coping mechanisms probably was art because it gave me a way to focus my obsession and that obsessive thoughts onto something that fulfilled me and made me feel better. So I think it's very much a case of, you know, what is our greatest strength can also be our greatest weakness. So that that obsession came in really well in handy with, with art and that I would... Um, you know, use for your powers for good not evil. <laughs> but uh, I guess you know, developing a face or drawing something and focusing on those details uh, gave me an outlet. And um, I think through the years, I sort of just learned to cope okay with it, and um, it became a bit of a joke in my family that um, they would they would call it stitch checking. You know, where I would. Um, if I would purchase something and there wasn't something quite right on it that I would, you know, I'd go through the whole garment and check the stitches to make sure everything was okay because it was just a, I guess, a way of feeling in control of something in a situation where maybe you didn't feel you had control. And, and let's face it, you had a love of fashion. <laughs> yeah, well, I guess. <laughs> I hadn't thought of it that way, but yes, it, <laughs> it may have come out there. Mm. And do you and, find, did you, sorry, I just wanted to, I hope you don't mind me interrupting, but did you find that you were conscious of that OCD? You were conscious of your, your picking at those little things or the need for detail? Was that a conscious thing or was it pointed out to you? Um, I don't really know, I guess. Um, I was conscious I was doing it, but I couldn't stop it at the time. It was definitely a compulsion and something I felt I had to do and I had to do it until I felt better about it. As you think about that now, mm. are you still of the same thinking or is it that you've learnt in those coping? Is that where art, is your art is so important to yeah. actually take you out of that space? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that I've also worked, you know, over the years and it, Look, COVID really sort of made it a lot worse. I mean, it did for some people, but I think that I feel like I'm just coming out of this dark hole of three years, the last couple of months, 
where, you know, I've been actually working with a therapist in the UK since the end of last year to really, I guess, understand me better and understand how to move past the OCD because a lot of times it has ruined my life (laughs) and it has really debilitated what I can do and what I can cope with. Yeah, that must be pretty frustrating. And I guess we all have different um, tendencies or perhaps actions or things that we do that do kind of sabotage us to a certain extent. Therapy, having coaches, working with people is one of the most safest and most incredible places to put yourself. If, for want of a better word, you're investing into your own personal growth and well-being. This yeah. is something that you've been very passionate about for a long time. Yeah. And for different coaches, for different things, what have you found has been the most easiest way to find the right coach or right person at the right time? Um, I think because I've had like an, I did have a therapist before my current one that didn't really work out. And um, I think through COVID it was quite hard to get in to see somebody. Um, I think it's just really who you vibe with. I don't know how else to say it other than um, you kind of nearly do a a test session (laughs) where, um, you know, my current therapist who's in the UK is, um, you know, he's 70 years old and he's a human givens therapist, but he's also done hypnotherapy and, he is a professional storyteller and I've just, I mean, apart from I love the British accent, <laughs> so it makes it fun to talk to him. Just the way he was able to reframe things and get to know me and give me a different spin or perspective on things, um, I think that that's made it easier to uh, practice and retain the tools that he's giving me. And as for any coach or, you know, I think it is just that. It's someone you can have fun with. It's somebody who you probably admire and can help you move past where you are now. And and look, I say it all the time. Many people have business coaches. Many people, if you want to be an mm. Olympian, you don't go there without a coach. You don't. Coaches are there to bring out the best in you or help you see the things that you can't see based on your own limiting thoughts, behaviors, or emotions. Yeah. And I think that's one of the most beautiful things. Maybe even in my parents' day, getting therapy meant that you were mad, that it was actually a sign of weakness. Yeah, there was a stigma around it. Whereas today, it's like you're almost mad if you don't have a therapist <laughs> or a coach. It's kind of cool that it's made it real. And, and we've had some beautiful time together. And I really loved being a part of your world. And I think what you've alluded to there is we are a constant work in progress. Yeah. We are constantly learning and changing. We are never the same person today as we were yesterday, as we even were 10 minutes ago. Yeah. And even as we listen to this podcast, by the end of it, you won't be the same person. Mm. And for many of us, we can't unhear messages like this. There's no accidents. And so I'm I'm really, really admire you for what you've done and the continual work you do with yourself, which shows up in your art. Your art is phenomenal. You've even entered, um, you know, the, the Archibald competition and you've done that. Can you explain what that is and then how you get into doing something like the Archibald? Yeah, so the Archibald is probably Australia's biggest portrait prize and it's run out of Sydney. 
and um, it's been going. Oh, look, I don't know when it started. It, uh, ages. <laughs> And um, it's probably the most well-known and prestigious art uh, portrait prize in Australia. And I think, like, anyone can enter, but the difference with the Archibald is that they like you to send in an actual physical artwork. So anything that's created you have to ship down to be judged, uh, whereas a lot of the other ones are digital. And so I think I painted you, Kimmy, in... Was it 2019 for the Archibald? I was just blown away. I remember you sitting in my, uh, my you know, the gorgeous Essential Self Care Weekend. Yeah. And could you just explain that story as to why you wanted to? Because I was so blown away. Yeah. So I was at your self um, care weekend. And I think just that weekend and the atmosphere, and you're so inspiring that. I had played with, you know, entering, but I didn't know who I was going to paint. And that weekend I just went, oh, I want to paint Kimmy. And um, I think I gave you a note because I didn't quite know how to ask. <laughs> and, yeah, and um, I think what was so beautiful is I didn't know what the Archibald competition was. I had no yes, idea. Yeah. And so just for those listening, we at the Essential Self-Care Weekend, we have love notes where we hand them out or we give them to people that light us up or things like that. And I received this love note in the middle of, of the workshop. And I just was, I've never had anyone ask that. I'm not even <laughs> since, and I've never understood it. And then my gosh, we then explain the process on then what you did to create that painting. Um, so I think we had a photo session together. So um, the Archibald requires you to have a physical sitting with your um, with the person you paint. And so I took photographs and I think I got to know you and I chatted and that's actually become one of my favourite processes of painting a portrait is, is that sitting, is getting to know that person and I... And I know that it's not easy to have your portrait painted, is it, Kimmy? It's it's for the for the sitter. It can be quite daunting and an unusual experience. And um, so, yeah, from that, I would take the photos and then um, I guess look through them and start to build a piece, like from little sketches to you know what was going to work on a bigger scale, and then you know drawing that larger. And then painting that larger and then having that framed and and then sent away to be judged. It's massive. I mean, we didn't win, and I'm sorry that we didn't win. <laughs> <That's all right. laughs> um, but the picture, I've never had anyone do a painting that was so real yeah. and also had a little special significant meaning to me with the three little birds, which was like Danny, Taylor, and Jacob. Yeah. You drew the heart. I've actually, I'll use the image for our for the cover of this so that people can see mm. me standing with Sanchia as she did this. I Still to this day, I'm blown away. I'm just completely and utterly blown away that you did that. And you're dead right. It was a very unusual and daunting position to be in, to have mm. someone want to paint you and take photos of you, and then to have their interpretation of you. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's mind-blowing to me because we only ever see photographs. Here's the woohoo. Mm, you mm. never see your own face. Yes. You only see a reflection of <laughs> and yourself. I remember you saying that. I love that. And so to see someone paint your face mm. is one of the most 
vulnerable, heart-opening, and most appreciative processes I think I've ever been through. But what was it like for you when you did the final touch on it and then had it framed? Um, what was that like seeing that image come to life? I love that process. And I think that um, I, th- I think you do get quite a, a connection with whoever you're painting as well because you get to know them on that deeper level and you're, I guess you're looking at the details of, of their face for so long and um, I remember taking actually taking your picture to the framers and I think the framer um, recognized you and I think she had she or a friend had been to one of your weekends or something and so that was just like you know icing on the cake it was and we we had a chat about that so that was quite beautiful wow I didn't know that I didn't know that that's incredible. And I just think the connection between all of this is so inspiring and so beautiful. Mm. You are a unique and beautiful and soulful and kind human. You and Josh have raised an incredible family. And like to me, to have my picture drawn was a real place of vulnerability. And your heart, your family, your life inspired me to do that. Um, to do any kind of artwork is really fulfilling a need for oneself to have that time to oneself, no matter what you're drawing or painting. Is that a part of your self-love, your self-care? And if it is, what is your definition of self-love? Yeah, it definitely is. And I think that that um, that playfulness, you know, easing up on myself that it, not every piece has to be a final work. So that And that's what I've had to do recently is find that you know, joy in my work again, find that, um, that fun, that, that place of, you know, nobody's going to look at this. It's okay if it's in my journal and it's okay if it doesn't work out and not every piece has to be a masterpiece. And so art is, and has to be, I think a regular part of self-love for me. You think then from someone who art how do I question it? If art isn't something we're good at, mm. are you then saying to take that even bigger, that creativity is a part of self-love? Yeah. What's, what's the bigger yeah. word there Those for those of us that aren't arty? Yeah, Or maybe we're so, arty yeah, in other yeah. ways. Yeah, so for me it's been that. But for anyone else I would say to find something that may give you that as well because I know for others it may be gardening or it may be, it may be even something like, you know, just getting into nature and bushwalking or um, cooking as well can be, I find that, you know, it, it's just that creating, I think, because we consume so much. It's just if we can get into that place of creating, you know, imagining something and creating it, whether it be, you know, a cake or, you know, um, like I've done silver jewellery recently, uh, colouring in, things like that. There's so many ways that we can be creative. Um, I know my mum, she loves to knit and that's her outlet. Well, I think you're dead right here. This is doing something that fills your heart. But I'm, what I'm hearing from you that's so incredible is that to, to love oneself is to create oneself. And when you think about it, every moment of every day, we're recreating ourselves. We have mm. choices in how we behave and what we think and what we say. 
we are masterpieces. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we are incredible creations. And loving oneself from your perspective and what I'm hearing and learning is is actually recreating ourselves and being able to do that through our love of creative activities. But in the process of doing creative activities, we're actually creating new versions of ourselves. Yeah, yeah. That's and so we, powerful. And we do. We learn so much through that, I think. Yeah. Well, there was a little phase that people went through just recently with colouring in for adults, you know, all these colouring mm. books and pens and paper. Mm. There's something about that happens in the brain um, as we colour. Do you know neurologically what's going on when we are colouring in or doodling or sketching? I don't know technically, but I can assume that it's probably you know, it's probably that, you know, the vagus nerve, that type of thing. It's getting us into a place where if we've been in that sort of stress or fight or flight that we're able to calm down, that we're um, engaging in a place of joy and that we're allowing our body to rest and our mind to rest. Mm. That's what I found so relaxing. And especially when all the lines are all drawn for you and you're just coloring, it's mm. such a special thing. And I think it just helps us to disconnect from other thoughts because you're so obsessed and focused on this, or you're allowing the thoughts to just come and go. There's no attachment yeah. to them, yeah, which absolutely. is another beautiful thing. I did hear that when you do do some coloring or doodling and things like that, that it does help you in many ways to deepen focus and improve our attention and ability to stay focused. And I think from that perspective, it's almost like, in a way, it's almost like we're just releasing many of those thoughts by allowing ourselves to have the space to color with that distraction or to doodle. And then we actually bring ourselves back home to get ready to do the next thing in many ways. Do you find the same thing happens for you when you're doing a professional art piece? Like, is it your escapism, but it refuels you? Um, yeah, yeah. I th I think sometimes I think that there is a part of art where it's not always your happy place. There is, as a professional artist, a huge amount of frustration sometimes, particularly when you're, you know, I guess trying to skill up or try something new. Um but also, oh, I can one... tell you when I was in Goati, there were many moments <laughs> I was not happy when I couldn't get something right or I stuck yeah, it up. Yeah, it was it's awful. that. It's that. Oh. But, but when you keep going and you do master it, that's such a satisfying feeling. And oh. I think that that is nearly too fulfilling and recharging. <laughs> I bet. I bet. Do you, are you, okay, I'm going to ask you this because some people say that doodling or artwork and things like that helps with, you know, reducing stress and anxiety mm. or fears or worries. It can help improve sleep. Does it do all of those things for you? Yeah, I think, look, overall, I can only say that when I'm doing it, I am a better person. I think that I'm a happier me and I'm a better mum and a better human to be around. <laughs> oh, well, you know what? I'm sure your kids, I'm sure everybody would be very grateful. I know when my kids would go, they'd go, mum, I think you need a bath with some oils. Was their cue to say <laughs> that, mum, you're losing your shizzle and you need yeah. to go and have a bath and get out of our hair. <laughs> but it was funny because the things I taught them to do to relax, switch off, recharge, were the things that they actually threw back at me when I obviously needed it. And oh, man, and they do, no don't like they? Your, there's no one there's... like your kids. <laughs> yep, yep, because they mirror back to you. Absolutely. <laughs> oh, look, 
I just I absolutely love everything that you do. Uh, if someone wanted, they love your energy, they're hearing you, you're incredibly thoughtful and kind, as I mentioned before, but you're also incredibly detailed and your artwork is magnificent. And I want the readers to go, uh, the listeners to go in and actually get a visual of what you do. Where's the best place that they can follow you? Um, so probably my Instagram, which is just art by Sanchia, or um, my website, which is just uh, artbysanchia.com. And that's S-A-N-C-H-I-A. So artbysanchia.com. Please go and visit her website. Follow her on Instagram. Her pictures, her paintings, her creations are freaking magnificent. I'm very proud to have a piece in our house and incredibly honoured and still blown away that there's actually a painting of me that you did and you took so much time and care. I just, yeah, I cannot thank you enough and just publicly want to acknowledge you for being brave to take that step and to then enter into that. You have been a finalist in the Australian Watercolour Muster and you have painted not only for the prestigious Archibald, but also the Brisbane Portrait Prizes. Is that something, uh, I'd love you to create a final message for us, but by constantly upskilling and doing these things, is that what keeps you fine-tuned? Is that what keeps you in the process of what this magnificent modality that you've chosen and that you're good at keeps you straight, keeps you honest, keeps you real? Yeah. Yeah, I think to always be learning and pushing yourself that bit further to, um, you know, and, and multiple ways to do that, whether it is a, a competition or just, you know, trying something completely different um, within your sphere. Like recently I've done oil painting um, just to get out of your, com- get out of your comfort zone. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I love this. And I think drawing is one way to level us all. <laughs> It's like getting someone to ask you to sing in front of a crowd, get someone to get me to draw yeah, in front of yeah. someone. I remember playing Pictionary with Taylor one day and the the word was bowl, as in B-O-W-L, and I tried to draw Danny bowling a cricket ball and she drew a half circle with a line across it. For and she won. Everyone went bowl, and I didn't even get through trying to uh, the the image I had in my head. So I think sometimes people like me complicate it, um, but yeah. you certainly make it seem so effortless and simple. And I really do want people to to check you out. And you know, let's face it, artists sometimes give a lot of love and don't always earn a lot in return because mm-hmm. their passion does not necessarily equate to dollars or earnings but you have created a career, you've stuck at it, you're worthy of it. If if anything, you're worthy of way more like many, many artists, but please don't stop. You've got an incredible talent that needs to be seen by more people. And if you're listening to this and you are into art, please share our beautiful Sanchia. She has an incredible heart and talent. And just a final message from you, beautiful girl, um, something that the Beautiful Self Love podcast listener could take away apart from the the growing. It may even tie in with your favourite quote. What would that be? Um, probably to to try something new, to to with your creativity and that, just to um, explore something that you're a little bit scared of and let that be exciting <laughs> and I'll, and one of my um favorite poets is victoria erickson she's a poet in america and um 
that's where my favorite quote comes in. It's uh, just because you are soft doesn't mean you are not a force. Honey and wildfire are both the color of gold. Oh, I love that. Can you just say it one more time in case anyone's yeah, walking sure. or driving? Just because you are soft doesn't mean you are not a force. Honey and wildfire are both the color of gold. What a beautiful, magical, special way to finish today's podcast, this interview, this chat, this incredible journey we've been on. Thank you for being you. Thank you for being in my world. And I am just so grateful to share your talent, your story, your passion, your grace with this incredible audience. Thank you for being on the show, beautiful Sanchia. Oh, thank you so much, Kimmy. Thanks for listening to the Self Love Podcast. Be sure to write a review and share the love with your friends and family. And head over and visit Kim and her team at 28.com. That's the word 20 and the number 8.com. Take good care. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.